0: Turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 23, where we will be looking at the remainder of that chapter, Acts chapter 23, starting at verse 12 through verse 35. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask for his help with the text this morning. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word. We pray that you would help us. We are people who wander off into our own truth, things that we think are truth, but are really just lies that we believe. We often do that concerning our own importance, concerning our own holiness, and concerning our ability to create our own standing before you. But your word tells us much different. Tells us that we are, we are sinners in need of your love and mercy, in need of your righteousness. And so Lord, we pray that you teach us these things from your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This will be interesting having a couple of students, my students here this morning telling this story, but that's fine. Uh, so in a given day in my high school classroom, I have about 100 kids or so that come in and out of the classroom, and among all of those students, I hear lots of different stories throughout the day. Uh, they tell their stories, whether they think they're telling them or not, they tell them out loud for anyone and everyone to hear. Uh, most of the stories are fairly mundane and silly, and just a normal part of growing up, and kind of what you would hear if you just had a group of any people—adults, kids—it would matter. Some of them are kind of scheming stories, hatching plans in order to do something, good or bad plans. It's just usually depending on the student, uh, and you can watch them scheme. It's not even a—there's uh, no secrets really. They're. High school students are among the least uh, sneaky creatures on the earth. Nothing they do is really secret. You can watch them hatch a plan from miles away, usually. Um, and it's just a normal thing. Emily and I were working the gate at a basketball game the other night. And uh these kids come in, middle school kids. And this one kid walks in and he sees that it costs $5 to get into the game. And he has this immediate reaction like, Whoa, you know, I don't have any money. You could obviously tell that was going on. He didn't say anything to us. He just kind of veered off to the side and began texting his friends. Well, of course, just a few seconds later, two friends appear from the stands who had already paid to get in. One of the friends had used a pass to, you know, they can bypass the beginning of the year that gets to all the games. Well, he used a pass, and then so they began very loudly discussing their plans as to how to get the friend into the game. Because, of course, you know, I'm deaf and I can't hear what's going on. They gave their unpaid friend the pass. And the the kid walks by and he flashes the pass and he walks in. Never makes eye contact with me, of course, because that would have given him away instantly. Because what he's been doing, of course, is very secret. And and (laughs) I let it happen. But then when the other friend walks by that had the pass to begin with, I made sure that he knew that I knew what exactly went on, and that it shouldn't happen again. His eyes got as big as saucers when he realized that he was actually found out and was not sneaky at all. Our plans and our schemes, yours and mine, must seem that way to God many times. The one who knows all, hears all, watches all, as we are fumbling, loud creatures... Go about scheming and planning as if we have control over everything and we have control over nothing. In our text today, we'll see just that. We're going to see some schemers, some evil schemers at that, making plans while others listen. And of course, all the while, God sees and controls and ordains all that comes to pass. For us, I think this is helpful not only because we oftentimes make plans without at once considering. God's will in the situation what he's doing but many times we find our plans fall short because God has other plans and so I think this is a very helpful text for us we're going to consider the two main ideas here that are against each other the schemes of the evil one and then the designs of the creator and so with that let's read the text together today Acts 23, starting at verse 12. Let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts 23, starting at verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made the conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though we were going to determine his case more exactly. We are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and asked, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, and he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though he were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him but do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor to drink till they have killed him and they are ready waiting for your consent so the tribune dismissed the young man charging him tell no one that you have informed me of these things then he called two of the centurions and said get ready 200 soldiers "...with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen, and go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor." And he wrote to this effect, Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. The man, This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen." And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was accused about questions of their law, but charged him but, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And then it was disclosed to me that he that there would be a plot against this man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him. Him by night to Antiparus or Antipatris, and the next day returning to the barracks, letting the horsemen go with him. And they came to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor. They presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he had learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrived. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's Praetorium. Amen. This is God's Word. and may be seated. So, as you can see, there is a, a scheme here, and it is by some evil men. You've often heard me say that we don't exist in a dualism type of system, and what I mean by that is there are not two equal and opposite powers that are vying for control of the universe. We don't have the good God on one hand and the bad devil on the other hand trading blows and wondering, us sitting by wondering who is going to win. We live in a system in which one is all powerful, the Lord, our God, and according to his design, he has created a powerful evil that is at odds with him as creator. This evil is given substance in the work of Satan and his minions. But that evil also manifests itself in the schemes and designs in our own hearts and in the hearts of men from the beginning of time, as you can see even here in Acts. As we look at this text today, it's important for us to remember this fact because we are not dealing with God on one side and the evil men on the other side and the Roman tribune in the middle making the right decision to save Paul, thus making sure that God's side wins. God from all time and eternity has chosen to use secondary means to accomplish his ultimate purposes. What does that mean? Well, that means that God will use whatever he pleases in order to do his will. He used the government that was holding his people, the Romans, captive In order to save one of the leaders, Paul, he used the Roman government, which would later become the enemy of his people. They would later become the persecutor of the church, the primary persecutor of the church. God would continue to use them even after that. God's will and his plans don't require our buy-in or our approval ever at all. They simply require us to submit and to be thankful. Even when when the evil one seems to be breaking down the door, we have to trust that God knows what he's doing because he does. That brings us to the first point, the schemes of the evil one. Look with me again at verses 12 through 15. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy and they went to the chief priests and they told them about the oath. And they said in 15, now therefore you go along with the council. Give notice to the tribune to bring him down as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. The ESV here, what I read from, says that they bound themselves under an oath, which carries some weight in our language right when we read that oh that sounds important but i think the kjv actually has the right of it by saying that they bound themselves under a curse they bound themselves under a curse the greek word there is the word anathema or means curse meaning what that means they bound themselves so much so that if they didn't do the thing that they said they were going to do that God would judge them. It was a very important thing. Let God curse them if they don't do the thing they said they're going to do. They were very serious about this oath to kill Paul. To not eat or drink until they had done so. When they, they went to the chief priests and the elders, likely many were who, of whom were the Sadducees. We learned about the different Jewish groups last week. They conspired to kill Paul in broad daylight. As he was being transferred, they kind of were going to rush upon him, but stab him a bunch of times is probably what's going on, and then there was nothing they could do. Well, let's consider that a moment. They know that the most powerful army in the world is now holding Paul. Everyone who's ever come up against Rome has fallen short at the end of a spear, at the end of a sword, over and over again until there's nothing left. Anyone who's come up against Rome has always died up to this point. They know this because they're Jews and they're the ones that came up against Rome and lost many times. But yet, they're still going to try to kill Paul even in the midst of that. Forty men who are going to go up of a very sizable garrison of troops in Jerusalem probably close to a thousand men and all of their a thousand armored men and then all of their other accessories they were the best trained best equipped best led army in the entire world at the time one of the best ever and here are these conspirators a bunch of ragtag guys who were just mad and they wanted Paul dead whatever plan they hatched it wasn't going to go well even before it had been sniffed out by Paul's nephew. They were insistent upon doing it, though. They were willing to die to see that their plan was carried out. What's the point here? This is the irrationality of the evil one. He knows he can't win, yet he continues to throw all of his might against the Creator anyway. I've read in several places... Concerning the end of World War II, uh, as it was ending and it was inevitable that the Allied forces would win, Berlin was being bombed and it was basically over for Hitler. Hitler would gather his generals together and he would continue to issue orders to troops that were no longer there, to divisions that had been routed and captured, that had surrendered even. Hitler continued to make orders as if his army was winning even though his doorstep was literally being beat down. He knew he was beat, yet refused to see the writing on the wall. This is just like the enemy that we have, brothers and sisters. He continues to fight, even though the war is already lost. It was lost on the cross of Jesus Christ. And again, make sure we understand this. When I say that it was lost on the cross of Christ was not because good people finally decided to do the right thing finally decided yes we're going to do the right thing if you read through the old testament there's a lot of people that say yes we're going to do the right thing and in the next chapter they do the wrong thing again so it's not about people deciding what's right it's about a good man jesus christ being sent because of the eternal plans of the father in heaven the good man the son of god jesus christ he is The victor, he alone, is the one who won the battle. We, as his people, are simply enjoying the spoils. And we share in his victory, and mind you, make sure you understand this, we share in his victory not as participants in the battle, not as ones who were fighting side by side with him, winning the war, but as those whom he has conquered. We participate humbly, again, because the only thing we bring to the battle is ourselves. We bring nothing that could add anything. The only thing that we add to the victory is the reason that there was a fight in the first place, our sin. That's it. And so, as we face the enemy in this life, we cling to that very same promise. Jesus has the victory. And we, through him, can claim that victory. Now, to be sure, when we say that the enemy is defeated, make sure that you understand that he is still dangerous. Did those men pose a real dangerous threat to Paul's life? Absolutely. Had they been allowed to carry out their plan, it would not have been good for Paul. Had they been given their way, Paul would have died way before Rome ever got involved. Paul would have been fine with that, of course. Paul would have been fine, as we've read from his letters, that he was ready to die. He wasn't afraid of death at all, nor should any Christian be. But, as Todd read this morning from verse 11, the Lord Jesus had plans for Paul, and that was for him to share the gospel in Rome. So Paul had plans, and he intended to do those plans. Martin Luther once said, that the dragon, talking about Satan, talking about our enemy, has been defeated, but we still must be careful of his swishing tail. A dying snake can still do quite a bit of damage, so can a dying devil. The devil knows that he is on his way out, and so what are his plans while he's on his way out to make yours and mine, our lives, difficult, horrible, until the very end until christ comes back he'll do that chiefly by convincing us that god isn't the good god that we hear about and that he doesn't know what he's talking about and that we should instead be in charge that is how he is going to make it hard for us because we will be convinced that what he's saying is true he doesn't do that by orchestrating the difficult things in our lives. He doesn't have the power to do that. God is the one that orchestrates the difficult things in our lives. So how do we deal with the difficult things in our lives? Well, how we do that is what shapes our character. And it's really what furthers our sanctification process as our lives as believers. When we fight against the plans of the Lord, we always find ourselves... On the short end, we need to trust that the redemption that he accomplished through the work of Christ is only the beginning of the life that he has in store for us. Just as we've been told all through scripture, ultimately this life that you and I live now, short, short, very short, and we will spend eternity with him in glory and the evil one along with all of those who do not call upon the name of the Lord, will suffer eternal punishment. The devil's not waiting in hell for the rest of those people to join him. He will go there and he will suffer as well for all eternity. There is no better plan than to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. If you have not do so, what's stopping you? The Lord is the one who can save you. No one else. And if you have, brothers and sisters in Christ, continue to trust in him. He holds you safely in his grasp. That brings me to the next point, the designs of the creator. Look with me at verse 16. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. So we read here that Paul has a sister and a nephew. We aren't told much about Paul's family in the New Testament. Here's one of the only places that we hear about it. It's likely that most of Paul's family disowned him after his conversion. Unless they too were converted. Remember Paul was in kind of a high class family. And so he was a high class Jew. And having converted to Christianity. They probably disowned him. We don't know that for a fact. But so here we have. Paul's nephew who just happens to be in Jerusalem and who just happens to overhear this conspiracy against Paul. So he goes and tells Paul and in turn alerts the authorities. It's incredible how the Lord works. Just a few high points here. One of the things that I really liked about this story, considering how cruel Rome would later be to Christians, they treat Paul's nephew with quite a bit of gentleness and respect here. Rome isn't normally accused of being gentle, so I kind of found it interesting that he led Paul's nephew by the hand and kind of spoke to him softly, tell me what's going on, and the nephew told him. And then next, the Roman Tribune, who we are now given a name for, Claudius Lysias, readies almost 500 well-trained soldiers to escort Paul by night to Caesarea. They could have dispatched the 40 guys with little daggers pretty quickly, in just a few seconds, actually, with no losses. But rather than have any conflict at all, they simply chose to sneak Paul to Caesarea at night. It says the third hour of the night, which would have been about 9 p.m., to this provincial capital of the province of Judea, which is Caesarea. Basically transporting him there so he could get a fair trial in a city that wasn't so volatile like Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a pretty rough place, still is today. And notice the letter Claudius pens to Felix, the province's governor. Claudius essentially claims that Paul is innocent, that he hasn't done anything wrong, no crime according to Roman law. He rats out the conspirators to Felix, and when Felix reads it, he calls for Paul's accusers to make a trip to Caesarea and protects Paul and Herod's old chambers and we'll 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 read of that interaction for next week so again consider the plot made against paul consider the fact that the roman government really had nothing to gain or lose in this entire conflict at all this is just some of their subjects having an internal problem as far as they're concerned they are much like the giant bear have it not having to concern itself with the dealings of mice If you want to look at it that way, yet they took in one of these little mice, Paul, and protected him. Not only is Paul protected, but he has this sizable army escort him to the provincial capital where he is kept by the governor's own force and protected in a very high standing. We don't oftentimes get to see the workings of the Lord just like this in our own lives, do we not? And it's in those times that we can easily lose heart. For us, just imagine had we been in Paul's shoes, hearing of this kind of conspiracy against our own life. It might have caused us to be discouraged or even lose faith. It makes me think of David. We read from Psalm 3 this morning, if you want to look there at your bulletin. The former king of Israel... A very important person in redemptive history was David. We read, as we studied 1 Samuel, we read about the first part of his life. Once had a very similar conspiracy against him, as a matter of fact. It was from his own son Absalom. And Absalom basically wanted his father's throne. He gathered many of his father's faithful men and kind of turned the city of Jerusalem against David eventually saw it where David and some of his closest advisors are actually fleeing the city of Jerusalem with their tail between their legs. There was a time when David's reign as king seemed like it would be over and that he would be hunted down by his son's own men. And he was very discouraged during this time, and it was during this time that he wrote Psalm 3. So look at Psalm 3 with me. Term there. So again imagine your son is plotting to kill you. This is what Paul writes during that time: "O Lord, how many are my foes, Many are rising against me, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation in God." These are hard words from a man who is called a man after God's own heart. These are words that if we're honest, we've probably said a time or two ourselves during difficult times. Because circumstances of our lives seem to be crashing in and it seems like there's no one to deliver us. It seems as if God only wants bad things for us and he is against us himself. So what does David do? Does he cry out against God? No. I'll read the rest of the psalm. Listen. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of Many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the teeth, on the cheek. You will break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Did Paul or did David at all seem concerned about his enemies? Maybe. But listen to what he said about the Lord. You are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I lay down and I woke up. They didn't even get me when I was asleep and defenseless because you sustain me. I am not afraid of thousands because the Lord is my God. Reminded me of what Jesus said. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And how did he do it? He didn't overcome the world by taking all of our difficulties away so that we could live perfect little lives with no adversity. It's not how he did it. He took it away, or he, he took, he overcame the world by taking away our real enemies, sin and death. He eradicated those enemies so that they would have no hold over us And any scheme they muster is going to be brought to nothing. So what then, brothers and sisters in Christ, do we have to fear? Romans 8. I'll share with you quickly from Romans 8. The last part of Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we have to fear, brothers and sisters? Nothing. Because what can separate us from the one who loved us so much that he gave his own life for us? So in conclusion, remember... That there is an evil one who seeks out whom he may destroy, but his days are numbered. That doesn't mean that we disregard him at all, but we continually pray to the one who has already defeated him. We share in that victory, so let us live as if we are victorious. And again, let us trust in the Lord, the one who is our, the shield about us, our glory and the lifter of our heads. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we read of this difficult time that Paul had, it reminds us of our own difficulties, even if they are much less perilous. They still seem very difficult for us. And so, Lord, remind us daily that you are the shield about us. You protect us from every side. You are the one who lifts our head. Ultimately, you are the reason that we are even able to stand before you now, that we are even able to pray these words, that we are able to open your word and understand it because you have taken our sin and you have nailed it to the cross. You have taken death and you have defeated it by raising from the dead so that we might have eternal life in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.